0: Well, Father, we come before you just eager to hear from you and your word. We thank you for the words of Jesus preserved for us in Holy Scripture, that we can regularly meditate, learn, and understand them. And I pray that as we learn about learning from you, that we will be encouraged to just continue what you want us to do, which is to sit at your feet and to learn from you. Pray that this message will be clear where I'm not clear. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will convict and encourage depending on the need of each of the hearers. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Stephen Covey kind of rose to fame writing Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's kind of a management book in the 80s, and he had a follow-up book entitled First Things, and he and his co-authors asked the following questions, okay? Okay. One's kind of convoluted, so I'm going to read it twice. What is the one activity that you know, if you did superbly well and consistently, would have significant positive results in your personal life? I'm going to read that again. What is one activity that you know, if you did superbly well and consistently, would have significant positive results? in your personal life? You might think exercise, dieting. Knowing I'm going to preach on Mary and Martha, you kind of know where this is going, right? <laughs> and this leads to the follow-up question. If you know these things would make a significant difference, why aren't you doing them now? Right? These are fair questions, right? What, what is the first thing that you should put first? So with that question in mind, we're going to turn to Luke, Chapter 10, starting in verse 38. And as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So here we have a, uh, basically a story of really two agendas and two sisters and one major conflict, right? But it's also a, a story about the priority of putting first things first and who's commended for it, right? Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, taking in the teachings of Jesus. Her priority, right, her first thing was learning from Jesus. And I think we all know that, right? There is a reason why you guys are here with the expectation that the Lord will speak to you in the Bible, right? Right? You guys are sitting at the feet of scripture, so to speak. But I think if we're all honest, I mean, that's not always the first priority in our life, right? Life happens. Might be the worries of the world, concern for family, might be preoccupation with NFL football or whatever. Can stop you from putting first things first. But the truth is, right? What, what is the one activity that if you're to do superbly well and consistently would change and transform your life? What would be the one activity that you'd want your children to do consistently and superbly, right? Uh, what is the one activity you'd want maybe an unbeliever to do, right? Anytime people really focus at sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking in God's word, good things happen. And so for some of you, this will be a good reminder to, you know, basically excel still more. For for others, it might be a, kind of a call to kind of return back to your first love, but for all of us, Growing in our faith is more than just feasting on Sundays, right? It's a continual nourishment on the words of Jesus, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so I got a three-point outline to kind of walk us through the story. We see the two agendas, we see one conflict, and then the call to put first things first. And so we'll go through this story, then I want to give you some practical helps and motivations to really encourage you to sit at the Lord's feet in your life. So let's look at the two agendas. Verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So Jesus went on his way. Remember, he is making his way towards Jerusalem. This is kind of a mindset that he will have for the rest of the book. Now He will go in and out of Jerusalem, but there is a trajectory in his ministry where he's looking at not necessarily revealing himself, but fulfilling his purpose, which is to go to Jerusalem and and die and then rise again. And as he makes his way to Jerusalem, he stops by Bethany. Now, we know this from John chapter 12 that Mary and Martha lived in Bethany, which was a bedroom community outside of Jerusalem. And it is there where they lived with their brother, Lazarus, who is miraculously raised from the dead in John chapter 11. Now, we have two people here, right? We have Mary and we have Martha. And you almost have like a team Mary and a team Martha that can happen in this church. So you look at team Martha, and Martha kind of gets a bad rap, doesn't she? You know, there's a popular book that was written years ago, Entitled Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. Poor Martha. The, the church fathers uh, allegorized this, and Martha, rec- uh, Martha represented Jewish workspace righteousness, where Mary was more of a contemplative religion of grace. Right, so Martha gets a bad reputation, but when you understand what's going on here, Martha was actually doing a very noble thing. Remember how Jesus sent out the 70? And he said, don't take a knapsack, don't take a money bag. I'll read it specifically from Luke 10, 4 through 6. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. So the idea is that these missionaries are to go out, ministering in the name of Jesus, announcing the kingdom, and and if some kind, godly, righteous soul sees them, they will welcome them into their home and provide generous hospitality, and there will be a blessing of peace on that person. So Jesus enters Bethany, and who was there to welcome him but, but Martha? Jesus, I, I insist, you, you will stay at my place, okay? Go no place else. You come, stay with me. We'll, we'll arrange the guest room. I'll make you a feast fit for a king. Please come. Right? This is generous hospitality. So she offers her home to Jesus, and and notice how she refers to Jesus. What does she call him? Lord. Calls him Lord multiple times. She understood Jesus wanted to honor him. Now, those of you who are on Team Martha, you understand that for this to happen right now, a lot of other things had to happen, right? The chairs needed to be stacked the communion cups needed to be fulfill, you know, filled, the money needs to be counted, the sound system needs to work, the bulletin or I guess my outline is projected onto the screen. It's and and there's all these other things that happen to even allow this to take place. I think about the Ironmen Summit, men sign up please. It is known not just for the teaching but for the hospitality. Right? That's often what what makes it work and those breakfast burritos don't wrap themselves. (laughs) Right? And so, you have a lot of sympathy with Martha. In fact, you know how the story ends. You know Martha's in the wrong but you think Martha has a point and the Lord knows your heart. That's team Martha extending generous hospitality, serving, serving him, serving Jesus, by trying to make a meal fit for the king. But then you have Team Mary, right? And her, had a sister Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, it was common in that day and age where the expectation was uh, the woman would provide the meal, right? A woman's place is in the kitchen. But in this case, a disciple's place is at the feet of Jesus. And at the feet of Jesus is is actually significant. When Paul is defending his ministry after he was arrested in Jerusalem, he tells the crowd in Acts 22.3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia. I'm brought up in the city educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Did he catch that? He was educated at the feet. Gamaliel was his rabbi. He was a disciple of Gamaliel. And so, for Mary to be at Jesus' feet is to take the posture and the position of a disciple who is learning at the feet of Jesus. And this is significant. She is commended for understanding that the woman's place is not necessarily in the kitchen, it's at the feet of Jesus. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter your religious background, what country you're from, what family you're raised in. Everybody is welcome to learn from Jesus at his feet. Okay, so those are the two agendas. One wants to serve Jesus. The other wants to learn from Jesus. And then we see one conflict. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Right after the day of preparation... Martha goes to the market, buys all of the things that you would need. They probably both make arrangements, cleaning up the house, being prepared to welcome Jesus. Jesus shows up. Mary is at his feet. Jesus is sharing stories, talking about the kingdom of God. Mary is asking questions, and and Martha kind of wants to be there. In the back of her mind, she's thinking, I need to check on the lentils. So she goes back and she, you know, stirs the pot of lentils. And she thought that Mary was going to help her out. She rotates the lamb and then she comes back and says, sorry, I was gone. I was just checking on the food. Jesus and Mary go, thank you. And they continue talking. And so Mary goes to the back of the house and starts pounding out the dough. And she realizes that she can't find the griddle to put over the fire. And so she calls out, "Uh, Mary, have you seen the griddle? Hint. Mary just says, nope, as you were saying, Jesus. Right? And she's just, I'll find it myself. Thank you. Now, there's a slow burn that's going on, right? Right? I've been working hard all day, serving Jesus. I thought somebody was going to help me. I would certainly like to sit at the feet of Jesus. Maybe if Mary were to help me out, that could happen. I mean, we're supposed to offer hospitality. I'm making a meal fit for a king. What's going on? You know what? I am going to go to Jesus. Jesus is going to help me here. And so she does. She does go to Jesus. She went up to him and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You can see her looking at Mary. Tell her then to help me. Now Mary, I'm sorry, Martha full on snaps, doesn't she? She's calling him Lord. And then she's questioning his care and compassion for her. Lord, if you love me, Right? Manipulative tactic there, right? If you love me, you would be as upset as I am that my sister has left me to serve you alone. So, Lord, I want you to use your authority to tell my sister to do what I want her to do. She snaps. Now, you can see how she got here, right? Ladies... Your husband asks if you can host his family for Thanksgiving. So you plan a meal. Turkey, stuffing, sweet potato casserole, mashed potatoes, marshmallow salad, your husband's request. Homemade cranberry sauce, because the can's for amateurs, let's face it. <laughs> Pumpkin pie. You got the whole thing all laid out. The big day comes over, your. Your in-laws show up a little bit early. Typical. (laughs) You've got a plan. You've got the recipes. You've had your mother-in-law's cooking, and she's not helping you in the kitchen today. So you set them up to watch a football game. Your husband turns on the TV. It works. And then he comes in, and he's helping you to peel the potatoes as you're trying to get everything all ready at the same time. And then he... Says, let me just make sure they're okay. Okay, so he checks in on them for an hour. (laughs) Now, this never happens in our household, so. (laughs) And you're peeling the potatoes that your husband was supposed to peel, and you hear him yelling at the TV. They all seem to be having a good time as you are serving the family. And you want to go all Martha on him, right? Because what's he doing? He's watching a stupid football game. Well, Martha goes all Martha on Mary because she's just listening to Jesus, right? That's the equivalent of the football game. It wasn't really a worthwhile behavior for her. It's not what she should have been doing at that time. Jesus, tell her to get in motion and go to the kitchen with me and start serving you. And so the Lord answered her. It's point three, one necessary thing. Martha, Martha. It's a term of intimacy and affection, right? He, Martha snaps at him, right? And notice how you responds with kindness. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things, right? You have been overwhelmed by the demands of hospitality. You are so focused on preparing a meal for me that you have... Forgotten the one necessary thing. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her, dot, 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 by you. (laughs) Don't stop Mary from learning from me. This is the one necessary thing. You know what, Martha, instead of preparing a feast for me, I've come here to prepare a feast for you. Jesus says, and he tells his disciples in John 4.34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, right? What he wants to do is he wants to feed his followers. The feast that he wants to, he doesn't want to, he didn't come to earth to enjoy the good life and feast fit for a king. He came to, to engage his followers and give them a feast to prepare them for the kingdom. In John 20, 10, 22, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows who the son is except the father or the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Right? Jesus wants to reveal the father and wants to reveal himself as the revealer of the father. And this will change Mary. This will change her. As she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, she is gathering a, an elevated sense of who this man is in front of her, that he's more than a man, he is the Lord. Jesus will make a return trip to Bethany. In John 12, 2 through 7. So they gave him a dinner there. Martha served. Notice how Martha is serving. Nothing wrong with that. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Notice, That is a year's salary. Mary took her life savings, broke it, and anointed his feet to prepare him for this great work which he was about to do. She had a theology of the greatness of Jesus. And after rebuking Jesus, Jesus said this in verse 7 of John 12, leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. She did this great work and Jesus commends her for it. She learned the worth and value of Jesus by sitting at his feet. Now, what about Martha? Does she get it? Well, she took it to heart. John chapter 11. Martha and Mary send for Jesus, letting him know that the one whom you love is sick and he's about to die and they request him to, to come down from the north to Bethany. But he remains, stays extra long, so that the Son of God may be glorified by this miracle. He shows up to the funeral. Lazarus passes away. Martha can't bring herself to, to see Jesus. but I'm sorry, Mary can't bring herself to see Jesus, but Martha approaches him. And says in John 11, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now Martha recognizes his power. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Notice how she's well informed. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And this is where you see the faith of Martha, who gives one of the most remarkable confessions in the New Testament. She said to him, verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That is a high view of Christ. In the greatest trial of her life, she clings to a high view of Jesus, a lesson that she learned from Jesus himself. She was prepared for this moment because eventually she got it. She learned about the one necessary thing, putting first things first. To sit at the feast of Jesus. At the feet feast, I guess it kind of blends. Now I mentioned my communion meditation that the purpose of, of Jesus' arrival here is to reveal himself. Serving is important. We just talked about the Good Samaritan last week, right? Where serving is an expression of our faith, but the foundation of all of our actions is based off of learning from Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, right? The yoke of learning. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus wants his disciples to learn from him, right? Discipleship. Following Jesus begins with learning from Jesus. It's to say, you will be my teacher. I will learn from you. I will sit at your feet. I want to know who you are. I want to know what you want me to do. That has to precede any action that you take. Now, let's say there is a large evangelical church that puts on a yearly Christmas program. And this is Epic. It is professional grade. The staging, the lighting, the music, the instrumentation, all of it is just first class. And this, this church has a reputation in the community for excellence in this area. And it is this fantastic outreach where friends will invite other friends and family to come listen to the music, be blessed by the solo, and then hear the gospel. Well, one year, things are not going well. There is a stage light that seems to be malfunctioning. Uh, one of the speakers makes this staticky noise, and they can't quite figure out how to fix it. The first chair violinist gets COVID, and then the soloist forgets his, the lyrics again. And the music pastor has had it. You are the laziest group of volunteers I have ever seen. Do you know that in four days we will have a performance where we will sing great hymns of the faith and share the gospel? Guys, you need to get your act together for Jesus' sake. Now, do you see the irony there? Does Jesus care more about the quality of the performance or the quality of the music minister's heart. <laughs> right? See, sometimes you can make a distinction between serving Jesus and serving serving Jesus. You can make an idol out of out of ministry. And if in your service you find yourself snapping at other people, being a, an unpleasant person to be around, it's It might be that you are serving serving Jesus instead of serving Jesus. Warren Wisbury had this quote. Few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Jesus without taking time to commune with Christ. The most important part of the Christian life is the part that only God sees. Unless we meet Christ personally and privately, each day we will soon end up like Martha, busy and not blessed. Now Jesus, he's not anti-serving, he's not anti-hospitality, but he is pro-private devotion. He understands that all of our service needs to flow out of a heart that's been dedicated and devoted to Christ. And this means that sometimes you have to make that first and let other things slide. So moms, it's okay for you to make quesadillas for dinner so that you can spend time in the word. Students, it's all right for you to delay studying for a half hour. So you can spend time in the word. Dads, it's okay for you to skip your son's baseball game to go to Bible study. You put first things first. Now, obviously, if Jesus were here, it'd be easy to put first things first, right? You can see how Mary had the opportunity of lifetime. It'd be foolish to discard it. But we have to also remember, too, that we have the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus, don't we? In John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit will come upon the disciples, and already has, and they're able to have perfect recollection of every conversation that Jesus had, and they're able to write it in the Gospels. Isn't that amazing? Peter, right? Peter, who saw the Mount of Transfiguration, he has this assessment about his experience that he says in 2 Peter Uh, 1, 18 through 21. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right? We have a prophetic word right here. Men moved by the Holy Spirit, wrote down the words of Scripture so that we can sit at the feet of Jesus. I mean, it's a privilege. Now, Martha made the mistake of neglecting time to sit under the feet of Jesus, and it showed by her behavior. And often as Christians, we can kind of fall into the tyranny of the urgent. We're always responding to things. And, and ministry can be an urgent task at times. But ultimately, we need to train ourselves and really discipline ourselves to make that a priority in our life because of what it does to you. Right? Reading the Word changes you. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so the idea is that you put your body on the altar and say, here I am, Lord, use me, right? What do you want me to do? Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by... Testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, right? So knowing the will of God through Scripture transforms your mind. There's another passage, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, all good things to put aside. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word... So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, right? If you want to put aside all those sinful activities, if you want to grow in respect to your salvation, what do you have to do? You have to long for the pure milk of the word. Babies let you know when they want milk, don't they? They're desperate for it. They're comforted by it. Because through the milk they grow. In the same way, Christians long for the pure milk of the word knowing that it is the word that causes us to grow in respect to salvation. And I think you all know this, right? You know, I should read my Bible. Now, here's the issue. There's many things that call for our attention, right? The urgent email, got to show up for work, got to take your kids to their activities. You know, so-and-so shows on TV. Somebody remarked on your Instagram post and you need to respond to them. See, the Bible doesn't have like a, um, you don't get paid for reading the Bible on a daily basis, right? They're, they're, you don't get uniquely cursed. You don't get a speeding ticket, GI issues, and then a bad grade and think, I didn't read my Bible, that's why. You don't get a grade for reading your Bible, right? There's no urgency there. You know, the idea of just having a quiet time and everything like that, often it gets tossed aside as legalism, it's not really a helpful discipline, but there is a place for reading the Bible, but you have to be convinced of its importance, right? So in addition to the lessons from Mary and Martha, I want to give you four reasons why taking a daily time to read the scripture should be a priority for you. In fact, I would say even the first priority, Okay. Four truths about Bible reading to kind of strengthen that conviction. Number one, Bible reading is a privilege. It is a privilege. Now, there is a familiarity, or I'm sorry, there's a saying that familiarity is the mother of contempt. I counted in my Bible. I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting all scrambled here. I looked in my office. I have 12 bound copies of the Bible in my office. I have 26 on my... uh, Logos Scripture Research Software. If you go online, you can get every copy of the Scriptures. I mean, the Scripture is just ubiquitous. You can get it in any language. It's all at our fingertips. And, and we can forget about just how privileged we are to have access to this. Now, I did some, some research on this, and I found that in ancient Israel, it's estimated that 3 to 8% of the populace was literate. And... The amount of people who can actually read the scriptures was even lower. On top of that, if you wanted to get a copy of the Bible, it's extremely expensive. In fact, according to one estimate, to get a copy of the book of Romans, it would cost about 14 cents a letter. It'd be about $1,000 to get one copy of the book of Romans. If you wanted to get the entire Bible and it would come in scrolls, it would be over $100,000. Before the printing press, a Bible would cost a year's salary. And should you procure one, it would be in Latin. So there is not even a guarantee that you can read it. Right? We are providentially privileged to have copies of God's Word in a language that you can read and understand, even in a codex, in a book. Right? You're providentially privileged to be able to look up any verse, look up any word. We have all these resources available to us. It is a privilege to just have the Bible. Number two, Bible reading is an act of discipline, right? To have consistent quiet times requires that you say no to the flesh. I'm going to get up early to read my Bible. The alarm goes off. Your flesh says, keep sleeping. But the Spirit says, no, you don't. You get up, you read your Bible. You read the Bible when you don't feel like it. Now, some people say, well, if I read the Bible when I don't feel like it, I'll be driven by duty and not desire. And then I'll be a Pharisee because I'm just driven by rules. Well, if you don't want to read the Bible, what's the best strategy for doing so? I'm going to watch another football game until I feel like reading the Bible. I'm going to endlessly scroll through Twitter and Facebook and then I'll want to read the Bible. Right? Is that going to work? When you don't feel like reading the Bible, what do you do? You read the Bible. You let the Bible speak to you. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When you read the Bible that was written by the Spirit of God, if you are a believer, the Spirit of God engages with it and it transforms and it changes you, yes, you will have times where you'll have a dry, quiet time. You may not get a lot out of it, but you know what? You still said no to your flesh. You still said, I will read the Bible. You showed a conviction that you want to read it, and that's a good thing. Thirdly, reading the Bible is an act of faith. Reading the Bible is an act of faith. I sent my second child off to college and I usually kind of write advice from dad. And the number one piece of advice I give to them is seek first the kingdom of heaven, right? But seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And the chief expression of that is to daily seek first the kingdom of heaven to set time aside where you will read the word. Because there will be times, right? Where as a college student, I've got a paper and I've got three finals this week. You know what? To carve out time for all of that, I'm going to set aside Bible reading to to focus on my homework. Now, if you succeed and you get A's, then you are learning that when life gets hard and difficult... It's time to set aside devotion to God, and it's time to set aside Bible reading. That is a damning lesson, isn't it? As opposed to when things are most difficult, it is an act of faith to say, with everything that I have going on, Lord, I'm going to seek you first. I'm going to trust you to make me smarter, more intelligent, have better recall, more efficient in my studies. And even if I don't do well, I'd rather get an A." in seeking first the kingdom of God than in my class, right? It's an act of faith. And you could do student and all the busyness of life. When life is really busy, if you train yourself to cast aside Bible reading, seeking first the kingdom of heaven, it's a damning lesson. And fourth, Bible reading is rewarding. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Now I want to just stop right there. What scripture is David talking about? Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, what? Yeah, he's reading the dietary restrictions. He's reading all those things about, no, this hair is white and this sore is still bleeding and oozing. And he's saying, this is refreshing for my soul. He loves the word of God because of where it came from. It comes from the Lord. And then he explains more in verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep your servant back also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of God delivers him from sin. I have many men who will come to me and say, Pastor Day, I've been looking up porn. Have you been reading your Bible? Well, no. I never have a guy come in and confess that to me and says, yeah, I've been reading my Bible every day and memorizing Scripture. I don't know what's happening. There is great reward because the Word of God keeps you from sin. It guides David. It protects him. The voice of God speaks to him on a daily basis. He sits at the feet, well, of Yahweh. And we have more Scripture that we can enjoy where we can take partake in a feast every single day all right so are you guys persuaded i hope so so what do you do one is have a plan you have a plan sometimes you want to watch some show on amazon or netflix or whatever your streaming service is and you spend about 45 minutes nope nope, nope. Oh, no ah maybe now everybody's already. You know, no 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 so 45 minutes are spent trying to figure out what show you're going to watch And sometimes it's like, okay, well, uh, Pastor Dave said I need to read the Bible. Okay, what do I want to read? And then it's like, all right, I'm reading Isaiah, right? And you wonder why you don't get any traction. Having a Bible reading plan is helpful because what you're reading today is off the table, right? You know, my reading today was, let's see... It was Job 27 through 29 and Isaiah chapter 4, right? That's, I know what I'm going to read. I have a Bible reading plan. Now, there's other ways to do it, but to have just a baseline where I read a little bit in the Old Testament. I'm sorry, I, I read about maybe three chapters in the Old Testament, one in the New, so that every single day I know what I will be reading. You can go to the you version. There's other Bible apps, but just have a plan. If you don't know where to start, I would just say just start working your way through the New Testament. Secondly, put away your smartphone, put it in another room, turn off the buzzers. Don't read the Bible off your smartphone. Use the book. Read the book, Undistracted Devotion. Now, some of you may not be big readers, and so maybe you can listen. The thing with listening is sometimes it's kind of hard to stop and meditate, right? But when you read it, or maybe play it as you're reading it, but spending time in taking the word. Third, I would say start in the morning. Well, I'd rather start at night. Okay, well, if you start at night and you miss, what happens? But if you start in the morning, you can fall back to lunch. If you miss lunch, you can fall back to the evening. The way to make sure you get it done is to start in the morning. And fourth, just don't make excuses. Have the conviction, this is what I'm going to do. Now, Donald Whitney shared a a story of a man from Kansas City who just became a Christian and got into an industrial accident where something exploded on him and he lost both of his hands. Um, He lost the use of his eyes. His face was burned. And he was disappointed that he couldn't read the Bible anymore because he couldn't see. But he heard somewhere that there was this woman in England who learned how to, uh, who learned Braille and read the Bible with her lips. And so he taught himself Braille somehow. He got a Braille Bible, and he tried to read it with his lips, but he noticed that the nerve endings were too damaged for him to do so. But by chance, he noticed that his tongue could actually feel it. And so he read the Bible with his tongue, and he read it four times, right? That's a man who loved the Word, See, ultimately, you have to have a conviction, right? The question is, what is one activity that you know, if you did superbly well and consistently, you would, would have significant positive results in your personal life, right? If that wayward son of yours was told you, to, Mom, I'm reading this Bible every single day, you'd say, Hallelujah. If your friend who went off to college and you're kind of concerned about them said, yeah, I've been reading my Bible every single day, you'd say, Hallelujah. Right, if some non-Christian comes up to you and says, you know what, I've been reading my Bible every single day, you'd say, whoa, right? We all know that. We all know that. And Satan would love to distract us and to be focused on other things instead of the one necessary thing. When you put first things first, you see how it changes others. It will change you this is what the lord calls you to do seeking him means seeking him through the word and once you seek him he will change and transform you so that you can serve him in a full robust rewarding way put first things first let's pray well father we come before you just grateful uh, for your word and i pray for myself that you will help me to be one who seeks you first in my own heart. I pray that for others as well. I pray for those who don't spend time in the word, that this would be sufficiently encouraging and motivating for them to start. That even today will be the first day where they will sit at your feet and feast. I pray for those who do read consistently, that this will just encourage them to excel still more. And I pray that, As a church, we will be a church of disciples that want to learn at your feet. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its availability. We thank you that we can read it and understand it. And we pray that it will continue to change and transform our hearts and this church. In Christ's name, amen.